Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we are joined by Yellow Box teaching pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Decision 2016. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. Hope to see you there. Father, thank you uh, for your goodness, for your presence in our midst. We're thankful for dads, for the ways that they um, love and serve amidst all their imperfections. I thank you for a church that is a family, that we celebrate together as a family, scars and warts and all. And I pray, God, today, above all, that you would be honored, that you would be celebrated, that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. God, I pray that um, I would step aside so that you Um, may speak to us today. Give us hearts to really hear this morning. We thank you and we love you. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. 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 So when I say the word leader, who do you think of? Some of you, perhaps you think of a boss or a coworker or a friend. Some of you maybe went to historical figures. You thought of Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Margaret Thatcher, maybe you thought of public figures, maybe you thought of Barack Obama or Oprah Winfrey. In fact, um, my notes say that I'm supposed to say this year's World Series winning manager, Joe Madden. Um, Just don't tell my family in Detroit I just said that, please. Um, But some of us, perhaps, when you think of a leader... You think of a completely different kind of leader, perhaps one who's a little less conventional. I have been testing you the entire day. Did you know that? Of course. And I'm happy to say that you passed. So effective immediately, I am promoting you from assistant to the regional manager to assistant regional manager. I told Dwight that there is honor in losing. Which, as we all know, is completely ridiculous. But there is, however, honor in making a loser feel better, which is what I just did for Dwight. Would I rather be feared or loved? Um, Easy, both. (laughs) I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. sales team. I feel very blessed. No matter how I look at this, I am in the wrong. And I have looked at this thing like a hundred different ways. From my point of view, from their point of view, 98 others. And no, bottom line, I'm in the wrong. I'm the bad guy. I want people to fear how much they love me. That, what an inspiring leader. But today as we uh, continue our series called Decision 2016, we're talking about what it means to be a leader, and it should be no surprise to you, we're going to talk about what it means to lead like Jesus. So my question to you, when you think of a leader, do you think of yourself? 
Now, I know the room's probably a bit divided on this. Some of you are like, heck yes, I'm definitely a leader. Others of you perhaps are thinking, no and no thank you. But what I want to say to each of you this morning is that all of us should consider ourselves leaders. And here's why. We're all leaders because we all have influence. John, John Maxwell is an author and a leader himself. Put it this way. He says, leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It is about one life influencing another. That means... Regardless of who you are this morning, whether at work or at home, in your small group, in your communities, with recreation, you are a person of influence. And perhaps you've never thought about it that way. You have influence. And so we're asking in this series, and today specifically, what does it mean then to lead like Jesus? If we have influence, then what should that look like? And in fact, in Mark 10, Jesus gives us a secret to great leadership. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. And while you do, I'll give some context. If someone near you gets there before you do, you can just take their Bible. Um, They have to give it to you because it's church. Um, And here's the context. Jesus has been ministering for about three years now. And he's, he's teaching. And he's healing. And he's debating. And they're heading toward Jerusalem with his crew. And he shares with them some information. He says, guys, uh, get in here. I want to I tell you a bit of how this is going to go. And he says, I'm going I'm to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. And I'm eventually going to be executed. Which is one heck of a pep talk, isn't it? And the response is a bit divided. Some are shocked. Others are astonished. But all of them know it's about to go down. Everything is coming to a head here. Now, many of his followers knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but their assumption was that he was here to bring a physical overthrow to the Roman Empire. Their belief was that Christ came to crush some Roman skulls. They were preparing themselves for an actual physical battle, and Jesus was to be their king. So this is why James and John, two of his followers, make this odd but bold request here in verse 35. Listen to what they say. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Already a bold start. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Wow. They weren't asking like for a snack. They weren't asking for like a LinkedIn reference. Like, oh, no big deal. Just right and left in glory when you get around to it. They make this insane request. And as you can imagine, the other 10 disciples walking with them are a bit upset. But here's what I think is actually going on. I don't think they're upset by the request. I think they're upset because they didn't think of it first. They asked to sit on the right and left, and they're like, oh, that was a good one. We really missed our window to ask to sit on his right and left in glory. So picture that for a moment. You're traveling, you're maybe tired, and Jesus is watching this little power struggle kind of just unfold in front of him. So he gathers them together, and he says, I think it's time for a leadership lesson. And this is what he says. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those 
who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Jesus was always doing this. He's saying, you've seen how the systems and empires work. Let me tell you how it will be of you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Imagine hearing that, thinking Jesus is to be this earthly king, and as Jesus often does, he turns everything on its side. If you're following along at home, uh, underline this part here. Um, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So imagine you're James and John hearing this, right? What did they just ask for? Ooh, me, me, pick me, let me go first, let me be top, let me be greatest. And Jesus says, let let me tell you how it will be in my kingdom. And then next he says this, whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. He gives another illustration elsewhere about someone who foolishly takes the first front seat of honor in a wedding. And then the wedding party says, that's not your seat, you go to the back. He says, don't march your way to the front. Instead, choose humility and let God glorify you. And then he finally ends with this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's pretty provocative. For this teacher, rabbi, soon to be king, to say, even me. I came not to be served, but to serve. And that perhaps even feels a bit uncomfortable to us this morning, doesn't it? Jesus, you don't, you don't serve me. You're not here to serve. I'm here to serve you, which is true. But don't we often look at leadership the same way? I think a lot of people aspire to leadership so they can be first, so they can be top, so they can have the best parking spot, the highest name on the website, the seat of greatest honor at the table. But Jesus says, if you want to be great, then serve. He says, if you have influence, which is every single one of us in this room, you're to use that influence to serve. It's no accident that every statement Jesus makes here is about service, is about sacrifice. This is his great secret to leadership. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking is that you're reading that on the screen, you're like, that's all fine and good, but that doesn't actually work in the real world. And I would say this, Um, believing Jesus is Lord has little meaning if we don't also believe that Jesus is smart. I think for a lot of us, um, perhaps Jesus seems like a good savior, but not such a good role model. We're grateful for like the access to heaven sometime in the future, um, but I'm not really interested in leading like that. If we believe that Jesus is Lord, we have to also recognize that he knows what he's talking about. There's this passage in Philippians 2. It's called the Kenosis Hymn. And it's essentially about Jesus emptying himself. And it's this really beautiful passage. I encourage you to read it sometime this week. But it talks about, he says that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And that word grasped, it literally means to seize violently. 
And we come from a long line of graspers, don't we? Like, has anyone here ever had to teach a child to say the words mine? Was that ever a word that had to be, like, instructed to them? How do they learn that? We come out grasping. We come out just screaming, grabbing, throwing an elbow to get ahead. But what Philippians 2 here tells us that Jesus stepped down from glory. He emptied himself and was obedient even to death on a cross. And he tells his disciples, we will live a different way. I wrote this. I think a lot of us really like Jesus, but not a lot of us desire to actually become like Jesus. The Savior who emptied himself out. My my college president used to say, each day we're a sponge and we get to choose to soak up in the morning and then wring ourselves out each day. And that imagery is always so stuck with me. To wring myself out for the cause of the Jesus mission. To wring myself out to love others as Jesus did. To wring myself out and then rest in him again. A leader asks, how can I leverage me for you? How can I leverage me for you? Now, here's the problem. This is a concept I think that's easy to understand, but difficult to actually execute. For me, it's kind of like downhill skiing. I get the concept. You're supposed to go from here to here and, and live, right? That's the goal. Am I wrong? That's the goal. Can I do that? Absolutely not. I've tried. And it does not go well. I think concepts like this, leveraging me for you, we see on a screen, we hear in a sermon, we think, yeah, yeah, I get it. But that sounds really tough to do. In fact, I'm going to share a a bit of a story that's a bit embarrassing because it's it's my attempt to look selfless, to look like I'm leveraging when I really wasn't. For as long as I can remember, I've always loved driving stick shifts. Maybe it's like the Motor City Detroit kid in me, but I've always driven stick shifts. And one of the things that I realized was that when you own a stick shift, you get the benefit of offering your car to everybody. (laughs) Looking very generous, by the way. And then you ask them, you you drive a stick shift, right? And they're like, no. And you're like, well, I totally would, man. Totally would, but I'll pray for you. (laughs) Until one guy called my bluff. (laughs) And he's like, nope, I could learn, and grabs the keys, took my car, and returned it smelling like smoke and fire. You're sensing a theme in my stories, aren't you? Lots of smoke and fire. I think often we do things with the um, perceived uh, appearance of leveraging me for you, but what does it mean to actually put others first? Leveraging me for you is not a default setting. We have to be really honest about that. It's not usually our go-to, but if we choose to follow Jesus, to really follow Jesus, to lead like Jesus, we have to learn how. I came uh, across this quote by Ronald Reagan a few years ago. He says, there is no limit to what a man or woman can do or where they can go if they don't mind who gets the credit. Isn't that wild? If you don't mind who gets the credit, there is no limit I heard a story years ago of a turtle that wanted to fly from Chicago to Florida for some reason. Can't imagine why. So he convinced uh, two geese to uh, get a piece of rope and to hold each end of the piece of the rope in their mouths. And then the turtle was going to 
grasped the, the center of it with his mouth, and they were going to fly him to Florida. This is a true story, obviously. <laughs> and they're about three hours into the trip, 30,000 feet, and another geese flies past them, seeing the two geese with the rope and the turtle clapping with his mouth, and the, geese says, or the goose says, um, wow, that's really clever. Whose idea was that? And the turtle said, Two years of improv school for that one. <clears throat> Perhaps we need to ask this question this morning then. Do, do I want the credit or do I want those around me to win? Do I want the credit or do I want those around me to win? If you lead others at work, do, do you create a culture of engagement or fear? If you're a parent, do you help your kids reach their potential or are they there to make you look good? If you're on a team, are you looking to make others successful, or are you merely in it for the advantage it is to you? When it comes to friendships, do you look for ways to enhance them, or do you only, be- do you only befriend people who benefit you? Here's my point. We make decisions every single day about how we will serve or not serve. What Jesus, the great teacher, is teaching here about leadership is that if you want to be great, you have to serve. So let's play a game quickly, shall we? I'm going to put some names up on the screen, and I'm going to read them off. And if you recognize that name, no Googling, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. Are you ready? There's no stake involved in this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> really set you up for a failure there. Um, Catherine Graham. Or applause. That works, too. Yeah. Uh, David Maxwell. Okay. James Burke. Bill Allen. Muted claps for Bill Allen. <laughs> Charles Coffin. You know who those people are? <laughs> yeah, it's neither did I. Jim Collins, though, who is a leading business consultant, says that these are the names of the top CEOs of all time. Do you want to know the companies they ran or run? Perhaps you've heard of some of these names. Uh, the Washington Post. Fannie Mae. Johnson and Johnson, Boeing, General Electric. Collins goes on to say that most of these leaders felt remarkably underqualified, not fit for the job, but they were able to empower their teams to great success. They asked every day the question, how can I leverage me for you? How can I put myself, my needs aside for a moment And care for you. Pastor Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, whenever we have authority, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. If you want to be a great leader, I need to leverage me for you. This is something that I often saw my dad do. And it being Father's Day and all, it seemed appropriate to talk a bit about him. This picture in so many ways encapsulates my father, um, not just the short shorts. <laughs> this was something that all of us at one stage of our life or another did. We saw a dad doing something and we so badly wanted to be a part of it. And instead of saying, no, I got stuff to do after the grass, I got to go fix this and I got to go put in an extra shift over there. He would put his needs aside and say, let me show you how it's done. 
And there are a dozen different pictures of us doing things like this. There's no blade on this plastic mower, but we felt like dads invited us to be a part of this thing. And because of my dad's willingness to put his needs aside, we were able to learn what it meant to be men of integrity, men of faith. My father, still to this day, works a blue-collar job, wakes up at dawn, and yet on his Saturdays, his days off, he drives a massive bus for my home church and picks up homeless men and women to bring them to a breakfast that we serve. For as long as I can remember, any time that I had a friend that was in a tough spot that needed a place to crash for a day, a week, a month, a year, our doors were always open. There was already nine of us in that house. And my father modeled this kind of love. He never held a big title, but I believe that he's a leader because he has influenced me. I'm a better man because of my father, because of the ways that he cared for us, the ways that he sacrificed for us. And he has spent his entire life leveraging his influence for the good of others. I want to be more like my dad because I believe my dad is like Jesus. <laughs> so I want you to think for a moment about the people that you lead. It might be a coworker, it might be your kids, it might be a roommate, it might be a team. It might be someone that you're sitting next to right now. And as you think of them, I want you to ask this question. How can I leverage me for you? So I think there are Two really practical ways that we can do this. They're really simple. One, I think we can listen. Listen to their hopes and dreams. Jesus says we don't become great by clawing our way to the top, but instead helping others succeed. So what would it look like for us to shut our mouths a little more and listen to other people's hopes and dreams and struggles? Secondly, we can ask questions. I think one of the best questions that any leader can ask is simply, how, how can I help? How many of you have leaders, bosses, that that would make your entire month if they came to your office tomorrow and said, how, how can I help? Is there one thing I can do? How can I leverage me for you? So, so here's the challenge. Think of one or two people that you influence. Like get their names, get their faces in your head right now. I want you to listen to them, discover their hopes and dreams. And I want you to ask them, how can I serve you? How can I love you? They'll, they'll probably be caught off guard, but I guarantee they'll have an answer. How can you help? I thought you would never ask. Leveraging me for you is the way of Jesus. Because remember what he says here in Luke chapter nine, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Leveraging me for you isn't just good leadership. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way that he not only invites us to, but that he modeled for us. Jesus says, do you want to be great? Then follow my example. Leverage yourself for the good of others. Serve. It's what truly great leaders do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are the ultimate example of leveraging yourself for us. 
you put on flesh so that we may have a relationship with you and so that we may live. God, what a gift we have in that truth. Thank you, God, for loving us when we couldn't even possibly begin to try to deserve it and yet calling us sons and daughters. Give us the strength and the courage today, this Father's Day, to love and serve as you have loved and served us. God, we thank you for that gift. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.